about the end times. And um, before we get into uh, that, I, I want to encourage you, this is what I'm going to tell my class today, when I, when I teach them. Thank you, Emily. Yeah, that has to be turned on. Is the roadie turned on? Uh, you're a good man, Andrew. Okay, great. Um, whatever you think you know about the end times, unknow it, all right? Uh, there's a lot of theories, a lot of speculation, and the, the whole point of me going through this is to give you all the information and the different views, and you decide, okay? Uh, and we'll, as I, we get into that deeper, you'll see why. Uh, by the way, there is no uniform view. The only thing that most churches agree on, that's churches that at least believe that Jesus is coming back again, is just that, that he will be coming back again. And so that you can, you can take to the bank. All right? Uh, so I'm going to ask uh, our worship team to come up. Ladies, please. You know, listen, after many years of schooling um, and studying, and I'm still not done, I can tell you this, that the safest place to be is standing firm on Jesus Christ. Yep. And so, as we come into worship, would you um, be thinking in terms of that? Morning, church. Jesus is the rock of my salvation, and I shall ever worship his name. Hello? Is this thing on? Okay. Jesus is the rock of my salvation. There we go. And I shall ever worship his name. The steadfastness of his love keeps a firm hold on my heart and leads me on the path of righteousness. Even so, I struggle to maintain direction and often wander from my desired course. My mind is weak, and my desire for earthly treasure is powerful. I turn to the Lord in prayer, and he is there for me, always caring, always ready to take me back into his loving arms. Please help me, Lord, to find you in that dark place. Please be my light as you are my hope. Please help me to be worthy of you and to pro and your promise. In Christ's most holy name we pray. Amen. Would you please rise? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ's solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. His oath, his covenant, and his blood still pour me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. When he shall come with trumpet sound, In his righteousness alone, all this to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. 
The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercy never comes to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The, the core of this hymn is simple, yet entails some beautifully constructed messages. Overall, the message of the song points to the amazing faithfulness of our Heavenly Father. He has been, is, and always will be compassionate and unchanging in every season and every aspect of creation. We can bear witness to his everlasting faithfulness. Although we may sin, God is rich in mercy and continually provides, continually forgives his people of their many transgressions. He is the supplier of peace and his presence provides guidance. We can find true joy in him and he provides us with the strength to get us through each day and hope for a brighter tomorrow. This hope and strength he replenishes continuously with each new morning that passes by, God brings new mercies, providing everything we need when we need it. Great is God's never-ceasing faithfulness, from Abbey Fortin Geneva College blog.
unto me. The Lord welcomes everyone into his dwelling place. God's temple is sacred and holy and a perfect place for worship. Again from Miss Fortin. With the end of a long and hard week comes hopeful beginnings of a fresh start every Sunday morning. Sundays allow for a time of relaxation from the difficulties of the passing week and the approaching work that hits you like a freight train on Monday morning. Attending church, mor church Sunday mornings is symbolic to giving God the very first of our week by listening to his word, praying, engaging in Christian fellowship, and singing praises to our Heavenly Father. We are blessed to have a place to worship the Lord. Matthew says, For where there are two or, th where two or three gather in my name, I am with them. I am there with them. So, Lord, we praise you and ask you for continued blessings upon us and our loved ones. We thank you for everything that you have given us and for our very lives. Please help us to be worthy of you as we live in hope of being called to you on our final day here on earth. Amen. Lord, those who dwell in your house, they are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on our God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, they are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on our God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, they are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on our God. We will go from strength to strength till we see your face to
Please be seated. Please read with me, brothers and sisters, the responsive reading, Daniel 7, 13 and 14. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and all peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So the heavenly scene continues as one like the Son of Man, which is, the Son of Man is, is a, another term for a human being, well, basically. Well, in this case, it's the infinite. Incarnate, yeah. Infinite. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, and he comes with the clouds of heaven to the Ancient of Days. This arrival was a vindication and exaltation. The Son of Man figure received everlasting dominion and a kingdom. The anticipated kingdom in the Old Testament was of the Davidic hope from Samuel. All earthly kingdoms would pass away, but the reign of the Son of David would be forever. This exalted Son of Man is da in Daniel 7 is the promised Son of David in Samuel, in 2 Samuel. Uh, possessing total dominion, the Son of Man is the ultimate Adam who had been given the task of subduing creation. The title Jesus used most for himself was the Son of Man, which linked him to the, the Daniel 7 figure. After his resurrection, he told his disciples that all authority in heaven and on earth had been given to him. He later ascended to the right hand of the Father, where he will reign until all enemies are under his feet. From the Grace and Truth Study Bible. As we um, go to prayer, I'm um, going to ask if I can have a couple of men, maybe Frank. And, uh, <laughs> I'm going to start twitching when he says that. Um, as, as we go to prayer today, I, unfortunately, I heard on the news this morning that I think it was uh, in Arkansas, um, a uh, pat patrolman in his uh, police car was ambushed and shot to death for no reason at all. Um, and, I mean, this is happening more and more. It's unfortunate the violence that's been happening uh, around us is just uh, astonishing. So, uh, as we go to prayer, I want to pray for our country. Um, I'm, I'm seeing more and more stress with people. I'm seeing more and more stress in families. I'm seeing more and more stress economically, uh, and more and more stress as far as uh, the political environment also. So, why don't we just have a time of prayer for our country this morning. Father, uh, senseless violence that takes place and we know it's all rooted in sin evil father affects everyone including innocent people and father I pray for the family of this police officer uh, who was ambushed there's no other way to, to put it there's, you would comfort them and just be with them in this time uh, I can't imagine, Father, that um, in, in a police officer's life, just as well with our own lives, we go to work or we go about our business and we don't even know what the future holds in the next five minutes. And so, Father, uh, this is a time where we need to come before you and pour out our hearts that Father, you would bring revival to your churches and a 
spiritual awakening to your country. Father, move America back to a point where when we sing God bless America, we can truly sing that and mean it. And so, Father, I just pray for our country. It is still the best country in the world, Father, even with all its problems. But, Father, we pray for your touch, your healing touch, that your people, Father, the church, would humble themselves and repent. And, Father, the promise of that scripture in Chronicles is that you will hear our prayer and heal our land. So, Father, we ask that of you this morning. And, Father, as we give to the work of the kingdom, I pray for um, the gift and the giver. Father, as we are obedient and giving our tithes and offerings, may we be blessed. And, Father, may we see the fruit of your kingdom. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we uh, look at Matthew 24 again today, we're going to complete the chapter. And I just want to let you know, part of my training years ago when I was in college, I worked as a special police officer over in Lavalette with my brother, as a matter of fact. And um, prior to uh, me starting there, we had to go through training, and um, it was good training. But I was taught that when you're in the patrol car, that you don't have a predictable schedule. And the reason why you don't have a predictable schedule is because criminals are sharp, usually. Dumb in other ways, but sharp uh, in some ways. And they'll figure out your schedule, and they'll plan the crime around the schedule. Um, so we were taught to not have any fixed schedule just kind of randomly, you know, go into places, and you'd be surprised at what you see when you do that. It's almost on the order of a boss being out for one day, and his boss all of a sudden comes in and catches you by surprise while you're playing a game on the computer or shopping on the internet rather than doing your own work or taking long lunches. Um, that actually happened in a company I worked for. Uh, one of the guys in my department decided to take a three-hour lunch. And um, uh, our boss came in unexpectedly. And when the guy came back from lunch, he was in for a surprise. And as a result of that, he actually got demoted because he was caught at something that he wasn't supposed to be doing. The reason why I'm telling you this is I kind of suspect if we knew when the second coming of Christ was going to be, we'd probably get careless about the way we live. Right? So I want to ask a question and to come into the back door of this. And just ask you this question. If you knew for certain that Christ was coming back on Friday, I mean, this is supposing, I don't know if he's coming back Friday, only the Father knows. What would you change? It's a pretty good question to ask yourself to find out where you are spiritually. Um, because the scripture says, we won't know. In fact, the scripture says, 
He will come like a thief in the night. Well, if any of you ever had uh, somebody break into your house or it's really it's a violation of of your privacy, right? right? You feel violated, right? Um, let me ask you if, if that has ever happened to you, did the thief make an appointment? <laughs> right? I mean, we get into these thinking things that aren't uh, real healthy when we try to force them into the Bible. I can tell you this, that Christ is definitely coming back again. However, we don't know when. But we should be prepared, spiritually speaking, as if it was today. It may very well be. I don't know. So I want to ask the question again before we get into the passage. Would that make a difference? Let's say, let's say, you know, God sent me an email. And this is all hypothetical, right? Let's say God sent me an email and said, you know, my son's coming back 6 o'clock tonight. What would you have to change between now and 6 o'clock? Because I think every one of us would have something to change between now and 6 o'clock. That's the type of urgency and expectancy that we're supposed to live with, that he can come back at any time. And for me, I'm okay with that. You know, it's best retirement plan I could have. I want you to look at Jesus' sermon here, how it develops this. We're going to start at verse 15 of chapter 24 and read this along. Well, I'll read it for you. Follow it along. If you have your Bibles, um, follow in your Bible, okay? So Jesus is preaching now. This is the uh, Olivet Discourse. He's responding to his disciples because his disciples are saying, you know, basically, Jesus, we've been following you for three and a half years. When are you going to establish your kingdom? That is, when are you going to publicly be the Messiah we were looking for? And what they meant by that was they wanted a Messiah who was militant, who would defeat all their enemies and give Israel a time of peace and prosperity. And yet Jesus painted a very different picture. In fact, last week he says, no, I, I need to go to Jerusalem to suffer as the Son of Man, to pay the penalty for original sin so that people might be saved by faith. So we pick it up at verse 15. This is talking about different periods in Israel's life. Um, and let me tell you, through uh, the Old Testament, when the temple was built, it's been built several times through the Old Testament, but when the temple started to be used for anything other than prayer, worship of the one true God, it became an abomination. That's what the scripture says. Now, what was the temple used for? When Israel's, Israel started to worship idols, it was used for all sorts of bad things. Prostitution, business, uh, the priesthood became corrupt in the temple. Uh, everything was about money and, and less about serving the people. And uh, different parts of, of the Old Testament describes this as, as an abomination. But there will be an abomination that causes desolation. And that happened, the initial um, fulfillment of that happened in 70 AD when the Romans sieged Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, I mean completely destroyed it, all the buildings that were associated with the temple, killed women and children, and of course men, to the point where historians recall that there was blood running down the streets. 
And that happened as a judgment for Israel rejecting their Messiah. Now the future fulfillment of this will be when the Antichrist comes on the scene. And don't me ask me if he's here now, I have no idea. But when he comes, you'll, you'll know, all right? Uh, but this Antichrist starts out good, and about three and a half years into his um, ministry, if I could put it that way, he starts to show his true colors. Uh, he's pure evil. And there will be a day where he goes into the temple and puts himself on the throne of David and demands people worship him instead of Christ. That's the abomination of desolation. That's when Jesus will return. Okay? Now, how that all looks in detail, I don't know. Really, nobody knows. We can catch glimpses of it. But look how Jesus develops this. He says, when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, that's the Antichrist sitting on the throne, spoken through the prophet Daniel. It's just what we read. And we're going to be doing Daniel uh, in a few weeks, and you'll see how this all ties together. Let the reader understand, and let those who are in Judah flee to the mountains. Now, this is where it gets a little tricky, because is that talking about the coming destruction of the temple in 70 AD? I think it is, because if this was the last times or the end times where Jesus comes back again, fleeing to the mountains, it's not going to do any good. There's no way you're going to get away from the judgment. You understand what I'm saying? So, you know, we, when there's prophecy, we have to look at it and apply it the best way we can. Let no one on top of the house go down and take anything out of the house. Years ago, I was, I was guest preaching at a church up in New York, and the hotel uh, we were staying at, um, the fire alarm went off. <laughs> and it was the end of September, I'll never forget it. And uh, Mary Lou says, what are you going to grab? And, and I said, well, my, I'll grab my notes from my sermon. Here I am in the cutoffs and uh, a shirt. I didn't grab clothes or anything. I grabbed my Bible and a sermon. It was near Joey's birthday. He grabbed his gifts, right? <laughs> Mary Lou grabbed her pocketbook, and we were outside for a couple of hours. And all of this because somebody got drunk and pulled a fire alarm. But this is saying, look, when this is happening, don't even take time to go back into your house and get stuff. This is going to be bad judgment, right? Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. You know, look at the urgency here. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in the winter or Sabbath. So I really think this is talking about the immediate fulfillment of the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. Now you would say, why, why is it... You know, why would it be bad for a pregnant woman or nursing mothers? Well, you know, it's, it's tough, as Mary knew, it's tough to be pregnant and be on the run, right? And it's tough to be a nursing mother and be on the run because babies get hungry when they get hungry, right? Um, and he says, pray that your flight will not take place in winter. Why? Because winters, even in, in the Palestine area, are harsh, or on the Sabbath. Wow. In other words, when you see this happening, don't hesitate. There's an urgency here, right? For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. Oh, this is this is tough stuff. Here's a problem for us. The problem here in, in America, in the North American church, is that we really don't know what persecution is. 
We don't know what persecution is. Now, has our speech been limited? Absolutely. Um, but that's not the type of persecution that's being talked about here. Uh, and that's not ty the type of judgment that's being talked about here. Um, the best way I can put this is that what happened in 70 AD is a precursor to what's going to happen when Jesus comes back again. As bad as that was, with b blood going down the gutters in the street, can you imagine that? When Jesus comes back again, after the judgments of revelation are given, it's going to be unequaled. So the best way I can tell you is that God means business. <laughs> he means business. You know, we become lazy in the fact that um, we want Christianity on our terms. We want easy, simple, no suffering. Um, and I have to step back and say, I wonder what the believers in Korea, North Korea, would have to say to us. I wonder what the underground church in China would have to say to us. The underground church in Iran, what they would have to say to us. Because in these countries, also with Turkey, you're either imprisoned or you're shot because of your Christian beliefs. They're persecuted. I know a pastor who was working in the oil fields, um, I believe it was in Saudi Arabia, and every day the troops would come and take away people suspected of following Christ. And this person told me he never would see them again. Also, they wouldn't be making the mistake of saying that the tribulation started. No, that's, no, as bad as it is, that's not the tribulation as we look at it in the Bible. We don't like to suffer for our faith. It seems like we'll suffer in the gym. We'll suffer for political causes. But suffering for Jesus, don't ask me to do that. Well, we're not going to have a choice. Look at the, the rest of this. I've got to bring you through quickly. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. Now, this, this is definitely talking about 70 AD. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. In other words, God intervened. Otherwise, there'd be no believers left. No believing Jews, no believing Gentiles. There would be no believers left. And that wasn't the purpose of this. Um, but if they hadn't been cut short, listen, mankind can do a good job of annihilating itself. Isn't that true? You remember um, Nikita Khrushchev, for those of you who are older, banging his shoe on the table in the UN? He said, we don't have to come in and conquer you with our military. You're going to destroy yourselves from the inside out. And that seems to be what's happening, isn't it? God intervened. At a time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. In other words, from now until Christ establishes the eternal state, there's always going to be people saying that they're the Christ. They're the Messiah. They're the, the Savior. That's why you will hear me say, church, do not put your trust in anybody in Washington, D.C. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't vote. Yeah, vote. That's our duty. And I would encourage you to vote for people who most align with the principles of scripture. That's your business. But I would say this. Once we start to trust man for our salvation, we're done. 
The only way that we have any hope is following the genuine Messiah. We even do this with pastors. We celebritize pastors, don't we? Especially the ones who preach about the end times. You know, they have all the nice charts on the wall and everything. They really think they have it all figured out. Well, let me tell you something. They got nothing figured out. Because nobody knows when Christ is coming back again. And yet, these guys, you know, they'll stand up real cocky-like, if I can put it that way, and, and think they have it all figured out. No. You realize when Jesus was on the earth, he had no idea when he was coming back again. Only the Father knew. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive. If possible, even the elect. That's us. Those who were born again. And he says, see, I have told you ahead of time. Don't be misled. Don't be misled. Do not panic. I told you that last week. There'll be wars and rumors of wars. There'll be all sorts of bad things happening. But Jesus himself says that is still not the end. Don't panic. God's still in control. It's God's timing, not our timing. Right? And then he goes on to say, so if anyone tells you that there he is, out in the wilderness, do not go out, or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. Don't believe the false teachers, the false prophets. For as lightning, listen to this, for as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. It's going to happen like a flash of lightning. And nobody knows when. How fast does light travel? 186,000 miles per second. That's why Paul says in the twinkling of an eye, he'll come. Whenever there is a, a, a carcass, uh, the vultures will gather. We're going to look at that in Daniel, so I'm going to reserve that. This is an incredible statement because it seems like the world system likes to gloat over the death of good people. Immediately after the stress of those days, the sun will da be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Now, were any of you around for the fire in the pines many years ago? All right, okay. In, in the midst of those fires, I remember coming out of my house with ash falling down all over us, and the sun was blood red. You remember that? And at times, it was completely darkened because of the smoke. Looked like an atom bomb went off. And I think that's what's in view here. The sun will be darkened. Why? Well, I, I can visualize the siege of Jerusalem and fire that was used to burn buildings, people. Uh, I mean, Jerusalem was leveled. And at some points, the sun was darkened for the smoke. The moon will not give its light because of all the smoke. Stars will fall from the sky. I, I was in, uh, living up in Bricktown uh, many years ago where I saw a meteor for the first time whiz by. Whoa. Yeah, did you ever see one? I mean, this was, you, you could hear it. It, it was incredible. And, you know, we say, well, this is stars falling. Well, yeah, we, we'll see. Now, does this have an application to when Christ comes back again? Yeah, I believe so. It's going to be part of the judgment. You'll see that in Revelation, right? But I can see this happening in Jerusalem in 70 A.D., then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming where? 
on the clouds from heaven. This is the second coming, right? He's going to come with great power, great glory. Notice, then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the sun. Why? Uh-oh. I didn't believe he was coming back again. Uh-oh. I guess I better get rid of some stuff that he wouldn't be pleased with. You see, the boss came back. He comes back. Now, let me give you a little bit of a, a hint. When, when the second coming happens, um, it gets where, this is where it gets a little difficult because um, Christ will establish a thousand-year reign, right? We call that the millennium. And in that thousand-year reign, Satan is bound for the majority of that time. And I believe God permits that for a reason. We don't need Satan to sin. And even during the literal, physical reign of Christ here on earth for a thousand years, men and women will still rebel against Jesus. Oh. And then the final judgment comes at the end of the thousand years. I had a relative. We were driving together on the parkway one day. And um, he dabbled in, in kind of everything. A little bit of Judaism. Roman Catholicism, um, he dabbled in uh, evangelicalism, mainline Protestant churches, and we, we would always talk about the gospel. And, and I, I would say to him, you know, you, you're asking me questions from the Bible, I'm, I'm telling you what it means to be born again, what it means to be a follower of Christ, and all. Why, why are you still dabbling in, in all these other areas. And he says, I want to make sure my bases are covered. I don't want to be wrong. Okay. Listen, if Christ isn't your Lord and Savior, well, I don't care where you dabble, it doesn't do you any good. All right? Jesus is coming again. In the twinkling of an eye. Let me finish this out with you. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call. Oh, uh, listen, I don't know if you, you remember at all, but um, Al Hurt used to be a trumpeter, right? One of the best I ever heard. And, and the clarity with which he played uh, the trumpet was amazing. This trumpet call is going to be even more amazing than that. And they will gather his elect, those who were born again, from the four winds, from all the earth, from one end of the heavens to the other. And now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. In other words, you can see the signs that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near, right at the door. And he goes in to say, truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. This is an, another one of those, I think, double fulfillments, because Jesus talking to his disciples, right? He's saying, listen, you're going to see some of this because you're part of this generation. This generation will not pass away until these things happen. What things? The destruction of Jerusalem. And then he says, heaven and earth will pass away. This is talking now about what we read in Revelation now. But my words will never pass away. Wow. 
The Word of God will always be. Always has been, is, and always be. How do I know that? Because Jesus is the Word. Isn't that true? Jesus is the Word. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass, will never pass away. Paul does a whole discourse on faith, love, and hope. Right? And when Christ comes back again, and he comes for his believers, our faith will be realized, correct? Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump, the trump shall resound. And the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. When we see Jesus, there's no more need for faith. He's there. Faith realized. When we see Jesus, there's no more, there's no more need for hope. Correct? It's our hope realized, our salvation. But love continues. Love is the one, only one of the three that will continue for all eternity. That's why his word will never pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows. Would you underline that, please? Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be with the coming of the Son of Man. You see, in the days of Noah, Noah preached for 120 years while he built a boat in the desert. People thought he was nuts. Well, God gave him the directions, of course. And he said, preach to the people to repent, come back to me. Otherwise, there's going to be judgment, the flood. In Genesis, it says, right up until the waters started coming, people were eating, drinking, marrying, making merry like nothing was ever going to happen. Well, surprise. The waters started coming up. God closed the door on the ark. That's what the scripture says. I'm glad for that. If I were nowhere, I, I, do, I wouldn't want that responsibility. But God closed the door, and people knew it was too late. Well, Lord, if you only had given us a month's notice. And, you know, God must scratch his head because... We repeat this all through history, especially Israel's history and church history. God sends prophets to tell people to return to God. I believe pastors need to be telling people in this day, in this country, repent and turn to God before it's too late. And yet we just go on like nothing. Most good pastors and prophets are stoned to death. We don't want to hear that. We want to hear good things. Tell me I'm going to have lots of money. Tell me I'm going to have a good life. Tell me I'm going to marry a, 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 a wonderful person. No, all I could tell you is this, that Jesus is coming again, and I don't know when. Will we be ready? For in those days, before the flood, here it is. You think I was making this up? People were eating and drinking, marrying, and giving him in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took all of them away. Then, how, then that is how it will be with the Son of Man, uh, coming of the Son of Man. Wow. Church, we've got a lot of work to do. First of all, we need to keep pointing people to Christ and the cross and salvation. That's what we're called to do in the meantime. Look at this. Some people think this is a picture of the rapture. I'm not so sure, but I can see this happening. 
Two men will be in the field and one will be taken, the other one left. Two women will be grinding their, uh, uh, will be grinding with a hand mill. One will be taken and the other one left. Therefore, therefore, keep watch because you do not know what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let him in, in his house uh, or his house be broken into. So you, do, so you must also be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Well, pastor, should I make plans? Absolutely. But make plans consulting God. Can God change your plans? Absolutely. Will we let God change our plans? I hope so. But know this. No matter what we do, we better be found serving him, worshiping him, glorifying him. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for the servants whose master finds him doing so when he returns. In other words, do what you're supposed to do whether the boss is there or not. Correct? Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is, is staying away a long time. And, then, and, then, and, and he then begins to beat his fellow servants and eat and drink with drunkards. In other words, he's just doing whatever he wants to do, right? The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour where he's not aware of. He will cut him into pieces. This is the master. Assign him a place with, what's the word? The hypocrites. And there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know what that phrase describes? Hell. A place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. We're going to talk a little bit more about hell next week as we go into uh, chapter 24. But listen, if you take anything away from today, I can't emphasize this uh, enough. Are we ready? Are we ready? If Jesus came back at 1 o'clock today, will we be found doing what he has called us to do? Or what in our lives need to change? What sin needs to be confessed? Have we been reading the Bible like we should? I'm, I'm talking about reading it devotionally, studying it. Are we praying like we're supposed to be? Are we coming to church like we're supposed to be? Are we helping people like we're supposed to be? These are all good questions to ask. Or, listen, please take this in the spirit of the passage. Are we just couch potato Christians that want our comfort more than anything else? If that's the case, then we're not going to be prepared. Not one iota. Well, Pastor, that's not popular. I'm sorry, but it's what the scripture says. We need to repent. We need to be busy doing what we're supposed to do. Go into your world, make disciples of Christ, teaching them all that Christ has taught us, that's his word. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what we're commissioned to do. We're also commissioned to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and strength. 
and love our neighbor. We're going to talk a little bit more about that next week. If you want to read ahead, read the last part of Matthew 25, the parable about the separation of the sheep and the goats. And there's, there's some good stuff in there, and we'll go over that next week. But listen, people don't want to know that you have the name Christian People want to see Christ in your lives, in my life. And the only way they see Christ in our lives is how we treat them. With grace, with dignity, and with love. So I'm going to ask the praise team to come. Take light in this. There's nobody perfect. No one. Even a professing believer is not perfect. We know that. That's why God gives us the gift of confession. To confess our sins. And he's faithful and just to forgive us. That's what the Apostle John says. And we should be doing that because none of us is perfect. But forever, God is perfect. Forever, even when I'm unfaithful to him, he's faithful to me. And if that means that he needs to discipline me to get me back on track, so be it. And that should be for all of us. Forever.
You guys are great. You sing beautifully. Thank you for coming today. We're blessed by your presence. I have to run, so let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for all the blessings you do give us. Thank you for the practicality of your word. And Lord Jesus, give us hearts that urgently expect your second coming. Help us, Father, to examine our lives as though you were coming back today. And Father, we'll be careful to give you all the glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a great day.